When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Dream Cloud's mattress technology blends support and comfort to make you feel like you're sleeping on a cloud. Every Dream Cloud comes with $599 in accessories plus $200 off with our Labor Day sale. Go to dreamcloudsleep.com today. All right, we're back. It's another Carolina podcast. Happy Wednesday, week four of quarantine, episode four of our quarantine, social distancing, another Carolina podcast. And as we just discovered a mere matter of seconds ago, all of our vocal cords are atrophying from not spending enough time in person and talking with other people. Uh, Wes, we'll start with you this week. Uh, How's it going? Any new updates from quarantine other than our atrophying vocal cords? No, man. I mean, uh, you can just play whatever I said last week. Um, <laughs> it's all uh, it's all about the same around here, man. I, I don't know about Chris, but um, I don't know if that's a good thing because we've settled in or a bad thing because, um, you know, I'm about to go a little crazy. But, yeah, all, all good here, man. <laughs> Chris, are you settling in or going crazy? Um, I, I have not gone crazy yet. I, I don't want to, uh, you know, count my chickens before they hatch there but uh so far no craziness no uh extreme cabin fever still doing all right um and like like Wes said a lot of the, a lot of the same around here but that's okay we sort of established a little bit of a routine and working and doing school stuff and trying to get outside a little bit eating a lot of food at home that's mm-hmm. for sure so yeah. it's been good is it weird or am I a sociopath if I say that I, not that I'm enjoying quarantine because I'm not, but that I've gotten used to it and that I'm kind of content with the routine that I'm in currently? Is that is that weird? No, I mean, I don't, I don't think so. All right, good. I, I had a, I had a thought about it, and I don't know. And almost like there's a part of me that feels a little guilty about it because a lot of people are having a really rough time, mm-hmm. whether it's like people are actually sick or their pe- or their families are sick or they're like economically really struggling um and all that and so that's one reason why like i'm not complaining at all because i haven't had any of that so far um and and i might i mean who knows and uh but like i've really i I think to myself every day that like i've actually really enjoyed this time because we've been able to have a lot of family time and stuff and uh and almost feel a little guilty about that but um that's why i don't come on and i'm like i can't stay you know i I don't know what wes and i I think I've been training for this for a while as far mm-hmm. as the work from home aspect because <laughs> yeah it's always it's just it's just funny to me when everybody's like working from home oh my god you did and I'm like I, I mean I'm used to it you right. know and uh so it's really hadn't been different from from that standpoint but mm-hmm. no I've settled in too and I think I, I part of me has really or really all of me I've sort of enjoyed it now would it be nice to get out some sure it definitely would yeah I think that's a that's a good way to put it I, I don't want to get up here and complain but i also don't have anything to complain about i've enjoyed the time that i've been able to spend with the people with whom i'm quarantining and we cook a lot anyway but we've been spending even more time cooking just going out to eat seldom you know we still try to get takeout support local businesses and i know y'all at gamecock central have done a tremendous job of helping people 
that own local businesses, restaurants, and things like that get the word out that they are delivering, that they are still open, that they're doing, you know, carry out and things like that, which is tremendous. So we try to do that at least once a week, but um, I, I guess we've had, we've been a little more experimental in the kitchen because it's like, oh, we're going to be cooking a ton. So we'll, you know, try to cook and eat some random things. So that's been uh, kind of fun. And I guess to, to your point, Chris, and for both of you that are used to working from home, it's also not really been different for me from that point of view because I'm still coming in here to the studio to record the podcast and to do the radio show on 107.5. So I'm still getting up and going to work every morning. It's just I, I can't go out to eat. I can't go to trivia and do those other things that I would like to do. But, and again, it's been nice to spend time with, you know, people that I already spend time with, but it's been a lot of time spent. It's been, you know, mostly good and catching up on some TV shows and movies and things like that. The one piece of the puzzle that I haven't yet been able to solve, and maybe I'm, I'm doing a little bit better than I was at the start of quarantine, and Wes, you and I have already talked about this a little bit, but... My, my workout routine has completely fallen off. I, I run every once in a while. I've done a few home workouts, but I haven't done anything that makes me feel as good as when I get back from the gym, either working out on my own or doing a group class. I know you said you've gotten creative with it a little bit and have been doing some things. Have you gotten into a good workout routine, or have you just kind of given up like most of the rest of us? No, I'm fat now, man. Yeah, me it's, too. Uh, <laughs> dude, I, I don't know. I, I've tried. The YouTube stuff just doesn't quite do it for me, like you said, the same way. Um, and uh, not to sound like an old man, dude, but when you're just not like a runner type, um, it, it's hard on your knees if you're not like used to it. So one, one thing I've found, like I was just running, um, like running three miles and um, – Dude, it, it got sort of painful pretty quickly, so I, I kind of had to dial it back. And um, I, I don't know. I, I try to now, – now the track near my house, because I've been running in neighborhoods, and then I, I, I ran on a track near my house, and I was like, man, this is actually way better because it's a, a, you know, a little bit better surface, and then you can mix in, like, you know, some burpees and push-ups and stuff mm -hmm. like that. And yeah. um, now the track is, is shut down as well. It's closed. Um and uh, so, so that kind of—I don't know—I I have not found the, the secret sauce there. I saw some people, like I saw the Bentleys built their own uh, their bench own press? bench. Yeah, yeah, uh, which was pretty cool. I, I don't know, man. I'm, I'm gonna have to figure something out. I'm actually—I um, meant to order it last night. Um, I'm probably gonna order it today. I, I think I'm gonna start doing uh, a lot more jump roping. That's something mm. that we would do in the gym class that, that I, I feel like you can get a lot out of and something you don't really need a lot of space for. And um, we'll get some, some cardio and, and some different aspects going there. So I think I'm going to buy like an actual nice jump rope on Amazon today and maybe try to take a different approach to this thing. Yeah, that's a really good idea because we're all having to get creative. And I saw something on ESPN yesterday that was like, how are NFL players staying in shape? And most of them, it was like, I'm going to pick up my three kids and do squats with them. And I'm like, yeah, that's that's kind of fun. But I feel like that's more of a novelty than like, okay, I'm doing this, you know, 200 reps and four times a day. It's like your kids aren't going to sit still long enough for you to let them let you use them as weights. So I, I don't know. I've been trying to just do something like I'll do uh, like during the show yesterday. I just did like 25 pushups during all the stop sets. So like, you know, a couple hundred, which is fine and it's good and I'll be sore a little bit later but it just it, it's not the same and I'll, like i said i'll run a little bit and it'll be fine but i just i don't feel like i've gotten any any single workout that's been as good as any other ones but i guess if i just like plateau here that's uh that's not the worst thing in the world but uh, let me know how the jump rope thing works out wes 
Yeah, I'm, I'm actually going to order that while we're talking. Now I'm thinking about it. And but I, have you have y'all pushed any cars? I mean, that's what. Uh, <laughs> I I, so, so so Vershawn Lee apparently uh, the freshman offensive lineman is back home pushing cars. I, I saw another kid, um, and it, maybe if we get into a little bit of recruiting at some point, um, Adam Randall, who's a receiver at um, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina actually just offered his teammate JJ Jones, but Adam's a a rising junior that I, I think has a chance to get an offer at some point. Um, he's actually posted a video of him pushing his, looks like his parents, uh, Tahoe down the driveway. So, uh, I, I don't know, man, maybe, uh, pushing cars is the thing to do right now. I get, well, I, I don't know. I mean, that that's really cool. And you have to be strong to do that. But I mean, most people's cars have died and you've had to like push it to the side of the road or like back up your driveway or something. Right. You put it in neutral and you just get it rolling and then it kind of goes, right? Am I, am I underselling it a little bit here? Uh, well, you got to go. I mean, maybe put it uphill or something. It's it's pretty hard to get it going at first, and typically you have more than one person, right? Yeah, I typically guess that's true. maybe Pearson, you're just a beast and you just push a car by yourself all the time. But I mean, normally you have a guy or two. Like you see people, okay, this guy's pushing this car. Let me hop out and help him, you know. But maybe I was just thinking about that. Could I put you know, we got a little truck, and can I push the truck up the hill? That might be a good thing. But I have gotten – so one thing that I, I saw somebody do it, I think I've seen people put, like, propane tanks on the end of a bar or whatever. <laughs> I did do some pro, some propane tank squats the other day, and uh, those are pretty good. Uh, I have been hitting the jump rope, like Wes said. That, that definitely works. And then these workouts – so one thing I would recommend, if you have – the Y, I don't know if you guys are members of the Y. Wes, I know mm-hmm. you're another gym, but if you're the member of the Y, they actually did less meals on demand for like two months for free. They gave everybody who's a Y member that. So I've been doing those, and those are killer. I mean, you, you will like feel like you just, I don't know. It's it's an, it's pretty intense. Wait, what are they? And then my wife, less meals. Uh, I don't know. All the all the tra- all the people who are doing the training are Australian or whatever. So oh, uh, oh, that that's someone's but, Les Mills is his name, and he does like just home workouts. Yeah, well, okay. I mean, it's never a guy named Les Mills, but it's whoever. It's his team. But that's, those are pretty. Intense. Yeah, that, that's um, that's uh, not to cut you off, Chris. That's the same company that does like all the that that's who Move Fitness is partnered with as well. Like they put together all the um. Yeah, like RPM cycling classes, all the uh, uh, yeah, those yeah. like dance classes that women take, uh, the uh, pump classes, the body combat. I think body attack. Like they're they're like a massive company that I think a bunch of the sort of big box gyms like partner with to um, install those, and they they like constantly update um, their workouts yeah. and stuff. Yeah, and I mean it's it's really they got they got a whole section in there that's like athlete workouts. So everything you do is replicate. You know, it's like footwork and plyo. I mean, it's it's pretty uh it's pretty hard, and you can find something that you that you like. And then my wife's been doing you know some workouts like from some of her Y trainers. And you know, I asked her this morning, like I did one with her this morning. I'm like, can, can these people come up with any workout that doesn't have like a thousand burpees and squats in it? Right. Like, let's get a little more. I mean, it was just it's so I, I don't know. I feel like I've been doing some different stuff to where, uh, you know, p- possibly if I could stop eating so bad, mm. 
I could possibly even emerge from this in better shape, but that, wow. that's sort of too, that's too, to be determined. Yeah, Chris, it's going to be the exception, not the rule in this case, but yeah, the, uh, the eating's been the, the tricky part, too. And, and I've been eating well. I've just been eating too much because I'm just around. And again, right. like I still come to work, so it's not like I'm snacking all day, but I'll come home and I'll I'll eat a snack and then I'll eat dinner. And then I'm like, oh, we're watching a movie, so I'll make some popcorn. And yeah, it just eh, a little bit adds up over a long period of time. But hopefully this won't be happening for too much longer, Will Muschamp is optimistic that this at least won't continue into the football season. He's hoping to get things back on track by what sounds like early to mid-July. At least that's what he said on his Monday or Tuesday. I think it was Monday. Yeah, it was Monday. His Monday teleconference would be about the timeline that he feels like his team would need to get ready for the season right at about eight weeks, four weeks of conditioning, just getting back into shape, into the physicality. Regardless of whether these guys are jump roping or doing a million push-ups or, you know, plyometrics or whatever, it's going to take a little bit of extra work to get them into football shape, plus your standard four weeks of practice to finish the install and figure out exactly what it is that South Carolina is going to do to try to improve on their 4-8 and eight season. Uh, I guess we'll start with that, Wes, because that number was different than, than the number we've heard from some other people. Steve Spurrier was asked a couple weeks ago, and he said that it typically only takes about four weeks to get ready for the season, I asked Eric Kimry on my show, and he said, yeah, that sounds about right. Will Muschamp doubling that, and again, maybe those guys weren't taking into consideration the amount of time it takes just to get back into shape physically. But when you hear Will Muschamp say that, one, do you feel like that is realistic at this point? And two, do you feel like he is overestimating how much team, uh, how much time his team needs to get back into the swing of the season? Well, you know, I think he was maybe talking about ideally um, that that's what it would take, and I think also important to point out he um you know he he basically said look we we don't we don't know what's going to happen. He uh he said, you know, this is how much time it would take. That doesn't necessarily mean that it's on that timetable. Um you know, he said we're we're preparing to play football as if it's going to be on time until somebody you know with a higher decision-making power says that it's not. Um, you know, and, and I think he he smartly sort of avoided, um, you know, you got Kirk Herbstreet talking about, um, I'd be surprised if we have football. You got Dabo Swinney saying we're absolutely going to have football. Um, when Neither one of them knows, obviously. Nobody knows. So, you know, I, I thought that was interesting. Muschamp took the, the approach of, look, I don't know. Nobody knows. But until somebody tells us different, we got to prepare like we're playing football and we're doing it on time. Um, you know, obviously South Carolina kicks off September 5th uh, on the current schedule uh, against Coastal Carolina. That would put you right at July 11th if you backtrack eight weeks from that. Um, you know, and, and Muschamp's point is, hey, if if these guys are, are spread all around the country, obviously you're you think and you hope that that kids are, are doing stuff at at their house, but but ideally, you know, that first four weeks would be to sort of get uh, get back in shape and, and get into football shape, which I think is very, very different than being in good shape for 99% of the population. And then the other four weeks to actually, uh, you know, do install and, and sort of make sure your team is ready to actually look like a coherent um, unit on the field. So, um, and, and, you know, I, I think, some of that, guys, it, you know, you, you look at what some other sports are doing and, and making adjustments. You could probably even do those that first four weeks um, 
maybe in a modified form. Maybe you don't have the entire team getting together and, uh, you know, getting in a weight room and, and passing a bunch of germs. Maybe you, you split it up and, and do small groups or something like that. Um, you know, I think there would be options to sort of ease back into this thing. Um, obviously, the, the big question is, um, you know, is the rest of the world by that point starting to get back to some semblance of normalcy? And um, do we feel safe? Because, you know what, there, there's another aspect of this, and that's that these are not professionals. These are not millionaires. They're not being paid a bunch of money. Um, it, it, I think the standard um, it, is set pretty high as far as safety before you can actually bring these college kids back. Um, and, and that standard is maybe a little bit higher than the stand for, standard for these adult millionaires who are going to be able to make their own choice of whether they feel safe, um, you know, restarting sports or not. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Professional leagues have their collective bargaining agreement between the players and the ownership, and there is autonomy, and these are guys that are making decisions based on their profession. If they don't want to play professional football because they feel like they're being put in an unfortunate circumstance or a disadvantageous circumstance, they can go decide to get into real estate or sell insurance or you know do whatever it is that they want to do. These athletes, this is for a lot of them, I won't say most of them because I don't know the numbers, but for 85 of the guys on the football team, I will say, this is how these guys are going to college. Not to say that they couldn't otherwise, but this is paying for their college. That's no small expense. So that's a, a huge part of the conversation, and I, I think we will find out what the NCAA really thinks about their student-athletes. I mean, they treat them like employees. I consider them to be employees because that's how the NCAA treats these, uh, you know, what we call student-athletes. I wish it were student-athletes. It's just that's not how major college football works. This is going to be kind of a test and could be kind of a tipping point because if they're trying to rush back into the season when it's maybe not the best circumstance, I think I think that would kind of be the official end of amateurism. I mean, this is a real test for the NCAA should things not really get back to normal. Uh, and, you know, Chris, one of the other possibilities is that South Carolina and college football teams all across the country could be starting the season up uh, without fans, you know, playing in empty arenas. I, I don't know how Will Muschamp feels about that, how the team feels about that. There are no easy answers here, obviously, but um, I, I guess Will Muschamp is taking the right approach and just saying we're preparing as if the season's going to start. We're having our meetings. We're going to plan to get as much practice time in as we can, and then we're, we're going to be ready to go on September 5th. Yeah, I think that is the good approach. And, look, I, it, it's, I think it's completely fine to express hope, you know, if, if you're talking about it that way. Hey, I hope the season starts, or I, I really, I really think that we're going to start. Nobody knows is the bottom line, and so, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm sort of with Wes, where it's a little bit like, you know, I, I know people are taking sides on it, like Dabo's comments, for example. Some people say, well, it's, it's no problem with expressing hope, or, you know, it's a little bit different from what he actually said to me. He's, uh, well, I have no doubt that we'll play. Well, I, I don't, I don't understand how that's productive or even showing hope. You know, when you go make a statement that. We are or we aren't. Nobody knows right now. We may be in a position to where we feel like we know in like a month or a couple of weeks or some sometime soon, relatively soon, but we don't know right now. That's silly. It's silly to say that we know or we don't know or, or what circumstances it's going to be under. Now, is it more likely or unlikely that we're going to – you know, you can, you can put some data out maybe either way showing your stance on that, I think. Um, 
you know, th there are some people that would put forth data or opinions that say, look, this is why probably not going to happen on time. Some people say this is why it might. There's definitely a push internally to play because, and I think we talked about this last podcast, the economic ramifications are, are incredible for, for big and small schools alike. And you're talking about a huge potential impact, far-reaching for these for these athletic departments and universities at large. But there's also a huge, you know, health concern, and so that people are having to balance those, and we just don't know yet. But I think it was smart of Muschamp to not say, "Oh yeah, we're going to play," or oh, "We're definitely not." I mean, nobody's going to come out mm -hmm. who's a college football coach and say we're not going to play. Now, I mean, Mike Gundy. <laughs> I don't know if you guys saw saw what he said. That's what you want to avoid as a coach. You know, you you don't want to go the Mike Gundy route, um, for sure. And I think I think that was even that that was a little bit like you can get into some tone deaf potential situations. Even, even if you agree with the guys, ah, he's 100 percent right. You know, you don't you don't want to go there as a coach. And so just just being even keel and say, look, we're preparing. What you know, or, or we hope we play. We're preparing. And that's what you got to do because, hey, maybe this thing does stay on track and maybe we do play, whether it's in front of fans or not. Mm -hmm. um, if you start on time, then you need to be ready. And, and we'll just have to sort out you know, how they get there if that happens. Yeah. Well, let, let's say never go full Mike Gundy. Yeah. Well, <laughs> don't do the Mike Gundy. You don't yeah. often want to go the full Mike Gundy. In, in this case, you don't want to go the full Mike Gundy. If you want to go the full Mike Gundy and like growing a mullet and screaming about being a man and being 40 years old. I, I, I'm okay with that. But in this case, you don't yeah. want to be like Mike Gundy. Or, hire, or hiring offensive coordinators. He's, he tends to do <laughs> a pretty good job of that, too. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So a couple things. Uh, this is not one of the things to take Mike Gundy's lead on. I, I want to take a quick detour, uh, Wes, or Chris, because you just mentioned this. Uh, Wes, I know you're a big Major League Baseball fan, and right now Major League Baseball is discussing the possibility of starting the season in essentially neutral sites, basically playing in spring training locations and doing it in front of no fans it's a little bit different i think for baseball than it is for college football there's a billion games in baseball so whatever you lose in gate on the front end like you have a lot of games to make that up we know that attendance in baseball has been declining and in general like baseball stadiums don't seat eighty thousand people so do you feel like college football is even in a position where they could make a similar decision to Major League Baseball where they just try to start the season playing in front of no fans, or is that too important to what makes college football so exciting and interesting? Yeah, I mean, I, I think all options are, are on the table. Um, is that anywhere close to ideal? Um, absolutely not. Is that um, something that would be way better than nothing? Absolutely. I, I mean, you would you would lose a ton, obviously, on on the gates there. But um, it, at least, um, if the other alternative was not playing at all, um, you know, then I, I think people are are seeing uh, you know Major League Baseball, the NBA, college football. Um, you know, they, they see these massive TV contracts that they're going to try to do everything in their power to fulfill. And um, obviously, there's there's going to be some pressure. Um, I, I think from from ESPN and you know ABC, um, CBS, those guys um, to try and fulfill uh, you know th these spots that, that they're going to pay a lot of money to, to fill. So um, yeah, I think college football is all about the the fanhood and the atmosphere and all that, and it would be very different. But um, based on what we've seen right now, which is just the 
you know, what, a, a month now almost of, of no sports whatsoever. It, you know, if you told me I can continue at this rate or I could have some sports, it wouldn't be quite the same. Um, the atmosphere wouldn't be the same, but I, I'm getting to watch um, people compete. Then, I, you know, you're going to choose that every single time. Um, you know, now I, I think if if it's just a matter of, okay, things aren't quite where they need to be, but it's still tracking um, to where real football, like the full experience could return soon. I think if that happens, you maybe just push the season back, you know, a month or something like that and, and start a little bit late if you feel like that's going to help. Um, now, if, if you're sitting there saying, you know, this thing's going to relapse, uh, you know, in the, in later on and, um, you feel like you just need to try to get games in while you can or, or something like that, then, then maybe, uh, you know, maybe you do start the season without fans, but um, you know, I, I think every single person involved with college football uh, from a business standpoint, you know, we're not really talking about uh, the, the virus and, and, you know, everything it affects otherwise, but just from a business standpoint, um, they, they need that money coming in because it supports so many different, other aspects of, uh, of, you know, schools and, and of, you know, ESPN and everything else they try to do as well. So um, I, I think when you have all those factors involved, people are going to do everything they can to try and get some type of college football out there. And if that means changing the playing window, then I think maybe you would probably lean towards just changing the schedule a bit if you could get the full experience, um, you know, as opposed to, to playing without fans. Chris, if the options are start the football season on October 5th instead of September 5th or start it September 5th without fans and just play the first month without fans, which is the better option? Uh, start later. Start later because um, – now, are you shortening the season or is it the same No, way? it just runs into January. It just runs into January, February. runs into football yeah, playoffs, I NFL playoffs. Yeah, I would say that you uh, you push it later because, look, you're losing. It's all about the revenue. With the, when I say it's all about the revenue, obviously it's a balancing act, right? But if you if you have a couple options, you're balancing against you know public health concerns. But if if you've got an option that you a couple options you feel good about, you're going to take the one that gives the highest revenue. So when you look at you know for instance, you know your ticket sales, you know if let's say the season's canceled, well then you're going to have to you know, refund tickets. You're going to have to, you know, you, you look at how many, how many uh, booster club members are you going to lose? You know, potentially uh, you refund tickets. You don't have any concession money. Um, local businesses economically are impacted by, you know, not having an influx of fans for home games or, for you know, traveling away fans, hotels, there's all sorts of things. So if you can, if you can get a combination where you get TV money and, gate money, ticket money, all those different things, then I think it's pretty clear that's the one you take. Unless I'm missing something, the only really advantage to starting in September is to say, hey, you know, people want sports. We're going to start them up now. But if people can't go, I mean, really, that just means it's on TV a month earlier. The schools are still going to be losing out on, you know, maybe, hey, two, what, two, three home games, uh, depending on which school it is, of Mm -hmm. revenue. And so I think you push it in that scenario and, and try to get the entire pot of money. So push it real good is uh, Chris's answer. Chris, I'll come back to you. Cause I started with Wes on the must champ teleconference. 
Uh, what else stood out to you other than the fact that you and your wife are watching the same show as Carol and Will? Well, that was obviously, I mean, really, we can stop there. That's the biggest takeaway. That was my um, biggest takeaway. You know, I can't believe Will Muschamp's <laughs> watching a TV show right now. <laughs> no, I, I, when I heard that, I was like, wow. I mean, because I literally probably last week started watching Bloodline as well. And uh, I think I'm about five episodes in. I don't know if he gave his which episode specifically he was on or any detailed thoughts, but it is a good show. Um, I'm watching Ozark, too. I really like that one. Uh, really different uh, from Bloodline, but that's a good one. No, I think, um, you know, biggest takeaway, I think, was just really the, the sort of thoughts that he gave on installing the offense remotely, you know, because obviously that's going to be the bigger concern, right, is the offense. The defense, you know, even though they're going to be breaking in some younger guys who enrolled in January, some of the guys who are returning still, you know, they still need to continue learning, obviously. And then you've got, you know, he talked a little bit about some incoming guys for the summer, you know, and how that may affect things. But I think just thoughts on installing the offense as a new scheme, for South Carolina, I think it was very positive, and, and Muschamp touched on this, that they were able to get some guys in in January, like Jason Turnatine, for example, who's probably going to play a role this year at left tackle. Um, couldn't even end up starting, but they got some guys in early, Marshawn Lloyd, Luke Doty, Jason Turnatine. They were able to get those guys acclimated, and then they did have five spring practices. So let's say right now if South Carolina just had not started spring ball yet, and then you're installing remotely with no, you know, really no on-field frame of reference. You know, you, you wouldn't have had those those meetings, the positional meetings, the offensive meetings. You wouldn't have had those five practices to go sort of put your hands on the offense and actually run some plays and scheme and have Mike Bobo out there sort of teaching you, your position coaches teaching you. I think that really was a positive for South Carolina, particularly if practice time, you know, let's say, what if spring practice is like totally shuttered? I mean, it seems like to make things even, if possible, maybe they're going to give, you know, teams that didn't start spring ball some makeup time, but we just don't know any of that right now. And so Carolina started early. They got a third of their spring practice in, and hopefully for them, I'm sure they, they would love to have more you know, before preseason. So if you can sort of put this in between the practice practice sessions, um, I think that's a positive, but uh, you know he—they're getting extra meeting time now, obviously with the four hours instead of two. It sort of talked a little bit about how they broke that down, but I thought that was really interesting, just talking about you know the different technology. Wes wrote a really good story on the on the Learn to Win platform that they're using. I thought that stuff was pretty uh, pretty interesting to hear in terms of how they're handling it. Yeah, I want to ask Wes about that story in just a second. It's up on GamecockCentral.com if y'all want to go read it. But I, I want to go back to you. Chris calling your shot like baby Ruthie Jaston Turnatine starting at left tackle or Turnatine or however I'm supposed to say it starting at left tackle you're calling it right now on on April 8th Chris no no I I wasn't called I said he could uh you know I think it depends. I'm gonna, I mean, it, he, I'm gonna call it for him. I think he will wow all He's right thank you okay. Wes right. and by the way uh, y'all got the Sandlot reference right Y'all, y'all didn't think I was just being dumb? No, and Sandlot was, what, 20, uh, was it 25 years old yesterday? Uh, Probably, wow. it came out in 1992, so 27, 28. Wow. 27 years. Wait. Good. Yeah, whatever. But That's it awesome. was yesterday, I think. I think Tuesday was, was when it came out. Mm, yeah, some some lady signed the ball. 
Baby Ruthie. Baby Ruth. Ah. Anyway, all right, so y'all, you are calling it, Wes. Chris implicated it. Wes is going to go ahead and finish it off. Jason Turretine starting at left tackle. He, he's had five practices. How can you say that? I don't know. I'm bored. Uh, okay. you, I, it felt, I felt like you really wanted somebody to, to call the shot, so I decided I would. But, no, I mean, the, the buzz for him has been strong, I think. Um, you know, I, I think that I think that makes a lot of sense, man. I think that helps all the other pieces sort of fall into place. Um, you know, it it, it, let, it has let Darius Hutcherson sort of settle back in at, at guard, which I think is his best spot. Um you know, yeah. So I and I also I wonder uh, one thing that to tie this all together. Muschamp mentioned they had talked some about trying Javon Gwynn at, at center, uh, which is something they talked about when he came in. It was that that was a potential spot for him. Um, you know that that might that might be your setup there. If uh, you know, I think we sort of know for the most part um, what maybe six or seven guys are, are probably gonna or seven or eight guys are maybe going to take up the five spots. We just don't quite know um, exactly who, uh, you know, is going to win a couple of these close battles and, and sort of which guys are going to be slotted where. Um, you know, I, I think Javon Gwynn is, is definitely a starter. Um, is it at guard where he played last year, or is it at center? Uh, maybe with Jordan Rhodes starting at guard and Hutchinson starting at guard. Um, you know, th- there's still some questions there, but – uh, just the the early buzz that you hear about Turner team um, is very positive. Wow, very cool. Um, all right, now Wes, tell us about the story that you wrote uh, again on GamecockCentral.com. If you want to go read it now about the uh, what is it software that South Carolina is using, or just a program that South Carolina is using to install the offense? Yeah, it's called Learn to Win. Um, really cool, man. I actually talked to one of their co-founders um, last week and was working on the story over the weekend. And, and then uh, Muschamp talked about it on Monday as well. But uh, so basically, and, and the guy that, that helped co-found it, he and his roommate um, were at North Carolina, UNC together. And uh, this kid was a, a basketball player, walk-on um, for the UNC basketball team. And, uh, you know, he, he sort of realized, and the guy was like valedictorian of his senior class was at unc on a um, full ride academic scholarship and you know he realized that as much as he liked roy williams and being part of the basketball team that um a lot of times taking these concepts and all the different plays that are involved and then sort of uh, putting them actually into action on the court what was difficult um even for somebody who's very sharp like him and, and how people sort of learn in different ways and um, his roommate at the time um, had some experience working out in Silicon Valley um, for uh, for one of the tech companies out there. And uh, so basically they got to talking, and ultimately uh, it was just an idea for a while. Um, they went their separate ways, graduated UNC, and then as fate would have it, they both got accepted to Stanford grad school. And uh, so they had stayed in touch um, and uh, basically they, they came up with this idea of taking a lot of the ways that people learn these days with something like a Rosetta Stone, um, you know, as far as learning language and stuff like that, and applying it to, to sports. Um, so they actually met with, with a kid, uh, Tommy Hatton, who, uh, interestingly enough, was a South Carolina football recruit 
that I interviewed um, years ago, and uh, they brought Tommy on board and asked him, you know, do you think this applies to football? And uh, he said, absolutely, I love it. He uh, he had his football career cut short because of too many concussions. So um, Tommy joined up, joined the team. Uh, they co-founded it together. They uh, all got together in Chapel Hill for like an off season. Met up with Larry Fedora and Roy Williams and used North Carolina football and basketball as their guinea pig for this new way to sort of implement playbooks and and concepts and stuff like that. So. Uh, last January, they went public for the first time, and they've sort of just seen it grow, you know, over the last, uh, I guess, year plus. And uh, but, but basically, what it is is it it takes the sort of film aspects and the visual aspects and pen and paper quizzes, which is something coaches still use a lot to test their their players' knowledge, and puts it um, on the iPad or on an iPhone. The coaches can send it out. And it's these little like three to five minute mini lessons. So, for example, you could have a picture on there of a team that you were about to face uh, running a defense. And then you could have a little quick pop quiz at the bottom and say, what, um, what aspects of this, of this picture or video tells you what the coverage is? And um, instantly the guys have to answer the question. And that information is then sent to the coach and they can see, okay, my guys know they know this information or they don't know this information. I can move on or I need to reteach this. Or um, my seniors have been here forever. They know this, but my freshmen have no idea what I'm talking about. So it's just a, a, a an analytics-driven, um, technology-driven platform to sort of take all the different stuff that coaches are trying to uh, put in place the paper playbooks, the paper quizzes, the on the whiteboard drawings, the film review, and put it all into one spot and then provide feedback to the coaches uh, about what do my players know and what do I need to continue to, to harp on is my incredibly long response to you. <laughs> no, that's fascinating. That's so cool. And the different connections. Uh, how many schools are using this right now? Um. Well, okay, so – some uh, there's there's over a hundred high school programs that have have signed on, and basically are using it um, because they have even less time with their kids. They're using it, you know, for like playbook install in general. Um, some schools uh, are using it more on like a trial basis, or using it just with a position group. Um, I, I think North, North Carolina is on still for for like their entire team. Um, I think Notre Dame is on, Ole Miss is on, I think, for their entire team. Um, and, and basically, it, he didn't have the full list, uh, but basically um, because of this whole, like, distance learning that teams are having to do right now, they've seen, you know, and he was like, nobody wants to benefit from a from a pandemic. But um, Sasha Seymour, the, the co-founder I talked to, um, he said, you know, basically coaches – we, we had some traction before, but now that coaches are having to look for new ways to connect with their team and, and to sort of make all this work from, from a distance, um, they've had a huge spike in, in interest um, because coaches love the fact that they can still do this stuff. Um, I don't think if, if they send out a quiz, it doesn't count as meeting time. Um, I believe I, I don't think that counts as your four hours that you have right now. So 
you can send this stuff out, get feedback. The guys are all on their phones and um, iPads anyway, so it's a it's a little bit more fun for the guys that they're not doing like an old school test. Um, it's interactive. There's pictures. There's video. Um, so yeah, there, there's a lot of teams on it, but I, I really think this thing is about to take off. Like there, there's going to be a lot more teams on this thing uh, sooner rather than later. And they they even the, the the technology really works for anything. They have a uh, they have a contract with uh, the Air Force um, where they're like helping uh, teach fighter pilots um, different stuff. Um, I, I think uh, I think maybe they're working on one with the Navy too as well. And I mean we're talking about like huge contracts. Um, I don't know if he told me the numbers. I don't know if that's supposed to be public or not, but. This, this company is going to be massive, um, and, and technically probably already is. That's really, really cool. And not often that we get to talk about South Carolina being on the forefront of something, you know, just technological or in general just being progressive in the world of football, and not not even, like, as a slight. It's just it, it's hard to be on the cutting edge of something, and it's, it's neat to hear South Carolina being on the forefront of that, so that's really cool. Y'all go read that full interview, like I said, GamecockCentral.com, and while you're there, you can also take advantage of, an, of the opportunity to go vote your Gamecock Central greatest South Carolina athlete of all time bracket is in the finals. I won't tell you who the finals or what the finals matchup is right now because you'll have to go look. But the final four, which I guess the voting for that wrapped up yesterday, was uh, Clint Mathis, Asia Wilson, George Rogers, and Michael Roth. We on this podcast have just been focusing on the football part of it, and we are a little bit behind because we got started sort of a week late. And I think so far our results have been the same. The final four that we have on the football part of the bracket were the same that the people voted on. I wonder, though, as we get into the final two rounds, at least, again, of the football part of it, if the results for us will be any different. Right now, the matchup that we're going to discuss today, George Rogers versus Marcus Lattimore and Jadavian Clowney versus Connor Shaw. In each of their last rounds, George Rogers vanquished Stephon Gilmore. Jadavian Clowney beat out Melvin Ingram. Connor Shaw beat out Sterling Sharp. And Marcus Lattimore beat out Alshon Jeffrey. We will start with Chris, and we'll start... Hmm, where do I want to start? Let's start with George Rogers versus Marcus Lattimore. The two greatest running backs in school history. One... Achieved every bit of his potential. Won the Heisman Trophy, the only Heisman Trophy winner in school history. Won the running back with arguably the greatest upside, the most potential, and arguably the most talented running back. Had his career not been derailed by injuries, it seemed that he would have claimed, if not all the records, then at least most of the rushing records for South Carolina. Chris, are you casting your vote for George or Marcus? Oh, my gosh. This one's really hard. We knew this would happen. Um... I mean, I, I think I uh, trying to eliminate a little bit my recency bias because, you know, I, I covered Marcus Lattimore in high school, saw the things he did live. I did not, I was not even born when George Rogers was running rampant, seen clips, those things. So it, it's a little tough to judge. I mean, I, I think I'm going to have to go with Rogers just because he won the Heisman, you know, number one pick. The numbers are pretty eye-popping. He was obviously a, a physical force. You go back and watch what he could do. I think I'd have to pick him. 
but to make fun of myself is close. I think <laughs> it is. Uh, I, I really sure. think this one's going to be close for each of us individually, and I, f- I have a feeling this will be a two-one vote either way. First one's going for George. Wes, are you going to cast the first domino in the Marcus Lattimore upset camp? Um, I will say so. I, I watched that King George documentary um, that SEC Network did. Was that a couple of years ago now? I, I don't remember when it came out, but. Um, very, very well done, except that they called it King George. I never understood that part. Um, the uh, Some of the stuff that that George Rogers was capable of, capable of back then um, was was just insane. And um, I, I would say, I know in the little run-in there, you said that Marcus Lattimore may have been the most talented running back in school history. Uh, George Rogers was the most talented running back in school history. I, I don't think there's any doubt in my mind about that. Um, what he did, uh, the numbers, the, the 5,000 plus yards rushing, and, uh, you know, it was just ridiculous. That said, um, there, there's, no, there's no way that I'm letting Marcus Lattimore get shut out um, here in the Final Four. And um, what Marcus Lattimore meant and uh, just everything he brought to the the team at the time uh, was exactly what South Carolina football needed. To me, there's no – it's not a coincidence at all that when Marcus Lattimore arrived on campus, um, South Carolina had its best run, you know, in school history. So – with that said, I, I will tie this up. Um, I will cast my vote for Marcus Lattimore. Um, and in the honor of Chris Clark, it is very, very close to So here's what scares me a little bit. You're, oh, man. You're going with Marcus, it sounds like, because you want him to at least have a vote. But you don't know where I'm going to vote. So if I cast my vote for Marcus, are you – I'm not saying I'm, I'm going to yet, but – if I cast my vote for Marcus, are you going to want to revise your vote to George because you want George to win, but you want Marcus to have at least one vote? No, no. My uh, my, my my vote is Marcus. Um, I'll stick with it, and uh, we'll, we'll roll with wherever the results take us. All right. So, George Rogers played, let's see, what's 24 plus 22? Uh, 46. Played 46 games and had 5,091 yards. 927 attempts, five and a half yards of carry, 31 touchdowns. If you do the math and say Mark Sidemore played 29 games, had 2677, he was not really going to come close to eclipsing the 5,000 yard mark. He wasn't going to catch George. He did Nobody have. Nobody ever will. Yeah, no, no, yeah. I mean, that's, that's completely ridiculous. <laughs> but 38 touchdowns, so played way fewer games and had more. Uh, rushing touchdowns. Let's see. George only had two receiving touchdowns, 33 scrimmage touchdowns. Marcus Lattimore had 41. And let's see. Nine, what did I say? 46? Yeah, 24 and 22. So 46. So he played 17 fewer games and had more touchdowns. And again, to your point, Wes, about what he meant to South Carolina, what he ushered in in terms of the, the unprecedented era of greatness, I don't want to penalize George Rogers for. I guess his best year and his crowning achievement coming 
at the end of his career, his senior year, winning the Heisman. But I feel like there's something to be said for Marcus Lattimore coming in and stepping on campus as a freshman. And in your second game, you beat Georgia because Marcus goes for 176. And Carolina fans that were excited for Marcus and got to see him a little bit in the opener are kind of looking at each other in the stands going, oh my gosh, what do we actually have here? Is this the second coming of George Rogers? He rushes for 1,200 yards the remainder of that year, 17 touchdowns, adds 400 receiving yards and a couple of touchdowns as well, 19 scrimmage touchdowns, which I I think we talked about last week is still the record. And then it took off for South Carolina. And I, I think you're exactly right. Marcus deserves a lot of credit for that, for setting the mentality, for being kind of the stalwart in the locker room. And even when he wasn't playing, you know, seven games the next year, nine his junior year, and then he was gone, he left an indelible mark on the University of South Carolina football program that I think is directly responsible for the success and for the winning mentality that that team carried even after Marcus left and even when he wasn't actually playing. And again, not that George didn't necessarily do that, but again, his best year was his senior year. And then after that, it was like, all right, that was great. He was great. But what did he do for the program afterwards? What, and this is sort of like a metaphysical argument. This is nothing you can, you can exactly quantify, but it just feels like everything that Marcus meant to South Carolina. And given that, yes, yeah, statistically, it's not comparable. But even if we conservatively estimate what would his career have looked like had he not gotten injured, had he just played, or, you know, let's say he just has one of the injuries. Let's say he plays seven games his sophomore year and then he plays. 11 his junior year, and another 11 his senior year. He's going to be right there. He's going to be over 4,000 yards. He already had George Rogers beaten touchdowns. I mean, every statistical argument would have then been a wash. So, yes, not the best career because of the injuries, but because of what he meant and because of how talented he was. And, look, I mean, there's probably never going to be another George Rogers just in terms of, like, watching him, that running style, the fact that he was as big as a linebacker and could run you over and could also run away from you. That's really, really hard to replicate. I mean, it's like Brandon Jacobs. Uh, you think back to when he was playing for the Giants. He's like 6'4". It's like nobody wants to tackle that dude. But you can say the same he's thing like about Derrick Marcus. Henry. Huh? Or, yeah, or, or, yeah, or Derrick, Henry. Like Derrick Henry. Um At the time, the comparison would have been like a Herschel Walker. Right. Um, and I, But I do think, Pearson, um, we probably don't get a sense for what George Rogers meant to the program back then. Also, just because we, we, we weren't there. So it, it's hard for us to really – sort of speak on that whereas with Lattimore we all everybody on this podcast sort of experienced it yeah that's true so again there is some recency bias but um like what did South Carolina do in 1981 what did they what did they do in 1982 and I I and I don't know what their record was when George was playing all I know about the teams from the 70s and 80s that the 1984 team was the best that was four years removed from George Rogers I've talked to some guys on that team some guys that were fifth year seniors in 1984 that talked about what it was like to play with a guy like that and how much it meant to them and how much it elevated their play and and helped them learn about what greatness is. So I'm not trying to diminish anything that George did, but I I feel like Marcus was just so, so crucial, like maybe the biggest piece. And we're going to talk about the other guy that could make an argument for biggest piece in terms of South Carolina's sustained success in 11, 12, and 13. But I feel like that starts with Marcus Lattimore. I want to give him credit for that. And then again, just to get back to the running back part of it, I haven't really seen anybody that runs like Marcus Lattimore with his pad level, with his balance, with his vision, with his patience. I mean, there's a lot of guys that have that, but I went back and watched the 2010 Alabama game a couple weeks ago because Eric Kimry and I did sort of a rewatchable episode where we jumped back in a time machine and pretended that it was 
middle of October 2010, and we had just watched the Alabama game for the first time. And going back and watching that game just reminds you of how uncanny his skill set is. There's a play where, where Steven Garcia throws kind of a bad swing pass out into the flat, and Marcus Lattimore has to kind of turn around and jump up and wrangle it with one hand, and he's standing on one leg, and I don't remember which defensive back it was, maybe Drake Kirkpatrick, is bearing down on Lattimore and hammers him. And normally, I mean, that's like, that's hit stick, that's a highlight, the defensive back gets up and is, you know, pounding his chest and goes back and celebrates with the other guys on the defense. He hits him like as hard as he can, and Marcus just like spins around, does a complete 360 on one toe, like he's a ballerina, gets his feet back, and then runs another 10 yards. It's like, you can't train that balance. I mean, that's like Kung Fu Ninja Monk, like ascetic living in the highlands of Nepal, like level of concentration and focus and balance. It's uncanny. I've never seen that skill set, that combination of skills in a running back before or since, and I may, but I'm not counting on it. So the the unique way that Marcus played the position, the off-the-field impact that he had on South Carolina and, and had on South Carolina up until like just last year because – he came back and was player person, uh, director of player personnel for or whatever that thing is for a couple years and just continues to give back. So maybe I'm giving him all the wrong advantages and maybe this is all just justifications for my recency bias, but I'm going to give Marcus Lattimore the win here. That was a really long one. Chris, are you upset? I'm not upset. As y'all have continued talking, uh, it's dawned on me that I, I really sort of went against my gut and and – I don't know. I, I'm with you. Like I sort of feel like George needed some representation too, mm. and it was just his accomplishments are hard to ignore. But like, I don't know. I almost sort of went against myself in, in voting for him. I mean, because like when, when coming into this whole bracket, I was like, Marcus Lattimore is probably needs to win the whole thing. Just if you just looked at the entire field, there were there were probably two guys that I said, uh, two or three guys that I said these are the guys that you know, should be, should be there. So I almost want to change my vote. Well, I think it's but fine. If, I think it's fine. I think it's probably correct if it's 2-1, because if it's 3-0, people are just going to be mad at us. And frankly, Chris, you did the right thing because everyone over the age of, you know, 40 or whatever is going to be really upset with Wes and me and say that we don't know what we're talking about because we weren't there, which very well may be true. But I, I think, I think you're probably splitting hairs and it's six of one half dozen of the other. And they're, two of the greatest, if not the two greatest, South Carolina Gamecocks, at least in terms of the football program, ever. And you can't go wrong with either one would be my sense of it, Wes. Or do you think we're just going to get skewered? No, I mean, I I, I think um, I, you can't go wrong with, with George Rogers or Marcus Lattimore as your pick. Um, although I'm – I'm actually, honestly, a little bit surprised in the real world results. So, are we um, are we are we giving that away, or are we making people go look for themselves? Um, I already gave it away because I mentioned that George was in the final four, oh. so he he won okay. the, the yeah, popular yeah, vote. Right. So, I, I'm not telling people what the final matchup is because they can go look at that and vote on that at GamecockCentral.com in the fighting Gamecock form. You don't even have to be a member to do that, so you can just go and vote for free. Uh, we do have to get to the other matchup, but we're all at peace with this. We're all at peace with Marcus beating George 2-1. to one. I'm, I'm good with it. Cool. All right. Other matchup. This is another one that I I have a feeling the three of us will vote differently than the people did. Connor Shaw versus Jadavia and Clowney. Um, 
I think this one again comes down to what is your what is your criteria? Um, you know, in in a vacuum, who is probably the better player? Um, is Jadavian Clowney actually? Um, who was bet? Who was maybe more important? Who was sort of the the straw that that stirred the drink for South Carolina? Who was sort of the absolute right person at the right time um, in the middle of all the rest of that talent um, to lead them to greatness and and to sort of uh, you know be the guy that could could make it all come together. Uh, that answer is Connor Shaw. Um, uh, the, the weird thing about this bracket is that um, there was never a uh, explanation of exactly how we're supposed to pick, which leaves it very much open to interpretation. Um, I, I don't know. I, I struggled with this one, but uh, just the, the fact that he went undefeated at home and the fact that he was the quarterback led me um, to a very close Connor Shaw win, personally. Chris? Yeah, I would go with Connor Shaw, too. Um, if it's the most talented Gamecock bracket, you know, Jadavion Clowney's your guy. Um, and he made – look, he made a lot of plays. Always think back to that Tennessee game, and one of y'all might need to help me on the year. Can't remember. Tyler Bray was the quarterback. It was at home. So that would have South been 12, Carolina. I think, because they they're away in odd years, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And 13 was the game that they inexplicably lost. So the year before, I believe it was, you know, Tennessee had come back, and uh, they were they were driving. They they had they were moving the ball. They, they'd scored a couple times, I think. And you just had Marcus in the, injury. In, injury, yeah, the day Marcus got injured. That's right. And so – there was like this sense of dread in the stadium where you could almost feel, you know, Tennessee's going to come back and win this game, aren't they? And they got in, you know, Tennessee was driving and Clowney was matched up. I remember against Juwan James, who was a really good uh, left tackle for the Vols. And he just made an individual play. He just, he whipped him. He swam around him, beat him, strip sacked Bray. Carolina recovered. They were able to go win. And, and, you know, those are types of plays, but, and, and Clowney, I mean, you set the Death Valley sack record. You're the number one draft pick. You're a five-star recruit, consensus number one. We went through all these, you know, I think a couple of weeks ago, several weeks ago. So, so many – you would not be wrong if you picked him. But, man, Connor Shaw, there's just so much, I think, meaning the grit and the toughness. Being the quarterback, like Wes said, the undefeated record at home, the record against Clemson, um, you know, the Missouri game in 2013 was just one of the more legendary moments in Carolina history. He's still part of the program. He's still very connected. He's the My Carolina Alumni Association spokesman. So when you look at greatest Gamecock and all the different things you sort of, you know, loop into that, for me, I think he, he really matches. And so uh, I would give him the nod as well. Yeah, I guess if I'm going to make the sort of meta argument for Marcus Lattimore, what did this player mean to the program, I have to do the same thing for Shaw in the interest of not being a hypocrite. I really wanted to pick Clowney because – Again, in terms of talent, maybe the most talented player to ever come through South Carolina, but that's not exactly what the prompt is for this bracket. I guess officially y'all are calling it the greatest Gamecock of all time. Is that is that the right title? Uh-huh. Yeah, okay. that's what right. it's called. 
So greatness, I think that what you know, for better or for worse, right or wrong, I think most of what people use to judge greatness is winning. So if we're gonna do that, you can't argue with a guy that, like you said, undefeated at home is absolutely ridiculous. Now, part of that is because he had Jadavian Clowney on his team, and he had Alshon Jeffrey, and he had Marcus Lattimore, and he had all these great guys, and Ace Sanders, and Bruce Ellington, and Melvin Ingram, and DJ Swearinger, and he had so many pieces, but he was. I think, Chris, what you said was straw, uh, straw that stirs the drink. He was that. He was the glue guy. Every bit as much, you know, if, gosh, I don't know. If if Marcus Lattimore was the heart of the team and the heart of all those years of greatness was Shaw, you know, uh, the engine, the motor, whatever you want to call it, it just he, he did everything right. Now, part of it is circumstantial, and, and when I'm trying to make the clowny case in my head, I'm thinking – all right, like if you put, I don't know, uh, Jake Bentley, not even like the most popular guy, or if you put Blake Mitchell on those teams with Alshon Jeffrey and with Marcus Lattimore and with Bruce Ellington and Ace Sanders and Jadavian Clowney on defense and Melvin Ingram and DJ Swearinger and, you know, all these guys and, you know, Stephon Gilmore. I guess he had him for a year, what, 2011? Anyway, if you put all those guys around Blake Mitchell and, you know, the good offensive lines that South Carolina had, is Blake Mitchell, Connor Shaw, like how much of his greatness – is circumstantial, and that's something we can never answer. So I, I just kind of default to you know giving the guy credit for it. And frankly, it's the same thing. And I, I don't want to totally take us on this tangent, but it's the same thing as, as Brady and Belichick. It's like, all right, well, if you if if the Patriots end up with you know Ben Roethlisberger instead of Tom Brady, well, doesn't Ben Roethlisberger probably win six rings instead of Tom Brady? He's just as talented, maybe even more so, and everything else around him, the system, you know, the coach, the the schemes, you know, everything. It's some of his circumstance, but you, you can't separate Connor Shaw from the circumstance that he was in. So I don't want to punish him for that. So I'm going to make this a, a clean 3-0 sweep for Connor Shaw, which feels uncharitable to Jadavian, but it it also doesn't feel wrong, Wes. No, it doesn't. I mean, uh, the vote is what it is. Uh, you know, that, that's the question I, I sort of have asked myself as well uh, as far as what would other quarterbacks have done. Um but you know, Connor had a an innate ability to not only make plays when South Carolina needed him to, but also um, to, to not get South Carolina beat. Uh, and mm-hmm. I mean that, um, you know, not not in a, a sense of um, while well, he won a lot of games. I, I mean, as far as taking the ball and not putting it in danger, and and knowing when to be aggressive and knowing when to sort of fall um, into the background and let these great players around him make plays, which is a, uh, you know, probably an underrated characteristic. Uh, he, he knew when to take off and, and get a first down. Um, he knew when to take his shots downfield, but he also knew when to just let let the dudes around him do what they were so uh, good at doing. So uh, I, I think just his feel for the game, his leadership, uh, his just sort of even kill uh, was perfect for what South Carolina needed at the time. And um, to me, uh, the, and it didn't end up meaning as much. Um, you know, I think the one, the one knock you could maybe give on Connor, um, if we're going to give him credit for, for all these team wins is that, um, you know, those teams that, that he was sort of the, the guy for never did make it to Atlanta, never did make it the SEC championship but mm-hmm. um, for me when I look at uh, the Missouri game and the comeback win and uh, coming off the bench uh, to bring your team back while you're you know you're injured 
to, to me, that was the storybook uh, day for South Carolina and just, at least in my mind, um, sort of uh, helps push Connor Schaller over the top because that was one of the most special wins in school history, I think, as far as how it played out. If we did a bracket for best wins, best moments, best comebacks, best games, any way you want to do it, I, I think it's fair to say that Missouri comeback in Columbia, Missouri, would at least be in the Final Four, if not win the whole thing. You know, it's one of those games I'll always remember where I was, my reaction, everything to it. Um, so that will make our final matchup for next week, Marcus Lattimore versus Connor Shaw. I have a feeling I know where that one's going to go, but I will save that conversation for next week. Thank you all so much for listening to another Carolina podcast throughout the quarantine. As I mentioned, Wes and Chris and everyone at Gamecock Central has been churning out as much content as ever. So I hope you're still tuning into the podcast. Hope you're still tuning in and checking GamecockCentral.com. Again, regularly read Wes's interview with the founders of, I'm not going to remember the name of it. Wes, tell me what the Learn name is. Learn to win. Learn to win. I don't know why I cannot remember that. I keep wanting to call it something else. But go read his interview with the co-founder of Learn to Win on Gamecock Central. Everything else that's going on right now. We'll be back next week again to discuss the last part of this football bracket to update the overall final results of the greatest Gamecock athlete of all time bracket on GamecockCentral.com. We'll probably have some more recruiting notes, uh, a few more football things to talk about. So for Wes, for Chris, thank you all so much for listening. Don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, and we'll talk to you next week. I'm sorry. We're all very clear in our throat. (laughs) (laughs) Like that family guy bit with the uh, with all the old men sitting around reading newspapers just clearing their throat louder and louder. (laughs) 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 All right, let's try this again. Being a parent can be really challenging. It's normal to feel uncertain about whether you're doing the right things to raise healthy and happy children. That's why Child and Family Resource Network focuses on connecting pregnant parents and those with kids under the age of five with free support services to help them build confidence in their parenting journey. Everyone deserves to have someone they can turn to for support with parenting. Visit childandfamilyresourcenetwork.org today.